The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. All right, good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you for the next 30 minutes, a frank, open, honest conversation about gambling addiction. And joining us, as always, from Epic Risk Management, our pal Dan Trelaro. Danny, good morning. How are you? I'm great, Craig. Good morning. I'm uh, having a great weekend. Yeah, well, happy holidays to you and uh, your family. And same goes Likewise. out to our friend Hugo, who's a gambler in recovery down in Houston, Texas. Hugo, good morning. How are you doing today? Uh, life is wonderful, man. Recovery is beautiful. Doing well. I love hearing that. What What was your last wager? April thirteenth, two thousand, and my last drink was May twenty fourth, ninety seven. Well, congratulations on both. So, a couple decades of uh, clean, good living, yeah. <laughs> yes, I mean, recovery is not a straight line, but recovery is better than the the other option. There's no doubt about that. Let's uh, let's hear a little bit of your story. How old were you when you first got exposed to gambling, even before it became a problem? Well, like you, some of your other guests before, you know, I have one of those gamble, gambling or addictive genes in my brain. I know that. That's part of the family history. Okay. I had my fa- first taste of beer. My dad was a beer drinker, so I used to take the foam off the top of his beer because it was kind of like whipped cream. So that was at the age of eight, and I didn't realize that I was already ingesting some of that alcohol early on, and I placed my first bet when I was 12. It was the 78 Cotton Bowl, Earl Campbell against Notre Dame. The guy who was teaching the CCE class said, talking all this stuff, UT's number one, no one can stop UT, but you know, I was a Catholic. I said, no, Notre Dame's going to beat them, and people were kind of like betting him right. uh, a quarter. And back then, I said, no, i got to go large. I want, I want to bet you $5 Notre Dame beats UT. And sure enough, they did. Of course, he never paid. So I had not only did I at least have that first big win, but I also had a resentment. That's fascinating to me. So uh, he's talking a lot of smack. You're a 12-year-old kid. That 5 bucks could have bought a lot of playing cards and, and bubble gum. And did you get a sense after that when you look back on your life that making little one-off wages like that became uh, something you did more often, or did you gradually get into other types of gambling? Well, early on, there wasn't a lot of opportunities. you got to think, this is the late 70s. Right. You know, gambling, you didn't, you didn't really talk about it much. And down here in Texas, all you really had was football. And so it just came like the time I became a freshman in high school, it was alcohol. You know, just started drinking beer or some other hard liquor. And and that's how it all started. I would think that there, I would just think growing up in Texas, and I don't want to speak out of turn because I don't know. I've never lived there. That that's kind of a stereotypical. Hey, this is what we do in Texas on Friday nights, right? We we hang out of the back of a pickup truck, uh, slam a couple cases of beer uh, out of the can, and we go watch uh, some high school football, something like that. Exactly, man. That's part of the life here. Beer, barbecue, and football, man, that, that's what that's what Texas is about, especially back then. It hasn't changed. Now we've added, obviously, a lot more gambling since then, but gambling isn't as prevalent in this state, even in 2022, as it is in other states. So, Dan, let me bring you in on that, just from a standpoint of Hugo's life story. It's the norm down there. He wasn't doing anything that wasn't what everybody else was doing, which makes it very easy to continue to do it, right? 
Yeah, exactly. You know, we we oftentimes start adopting behaviors and and uh, activities that are just kind of par for the course. That's what's normal down there. You know, normal is all relative. It's relative to your upbringing, your culture, your environment. And and that's why we start to see people say, listen, this is what people are doing. I'm hanging out with my friends. It's a good time. And that's how a lot of the addiction that people experience in life often started off at some point where it was just a good time. It was harmless. It was a form of entertainment. It was an activity. But then over time, something starts to shift. And that's where it gets really kind of cloudy because addiction, as we know, and as Hugo mentioned, there's so many different factors. One can be genetic. It can be biological could be a whole lot of factors that go into it. So, yeah, we see that that, that could be a normal way to start, but then something happens as life goes on. So, uh, Hugo, let me ask you a question. When did, as you look back on your life, when did gambling become a problem? Well, I can even speak to what Dan just said. It was also supported by my school and by my upbringing. Alcohol was always kind of welcome. I went to an all-boys Jesuit high school here in Houston, and part of our fundraiser, we call a big spring fling, that one of the big parts of that fundraiser was gambling. There was like a gambling section. Back then it was more like over, under, or spin the wheel type of thing, and then the big prize was some type of kind of like a lottery. Later on, as now they have casino games. So it was backed up by the Catholic religion. It was backed up by my school. So it was it was actually approved. It was validated. And then when my older brother went off to UT, that's where he was able to kind of get in touch with some of the bookies there at a you know, within the fraternity within the Greek life. And then right. I made some more uh, bets there. And then when I got to UT, that's when I started getting into bookies, and that's. Everything accelerated between alcohol and gambling. So, was the gambling and the and the alcohol, the drinking connected? Like, did you gamble more when you drank? Did you drink more when you gambled? Uh, in the beginning, it was more alcohol. Uh, that because that was just more available. Because even when I was at a freshman at, at UT, even sophomore, the only gambling I could do was during football season. Back then, I couldn't gamble in basketball or baseball like I did after I graduated. So it was just something that was just more normal. And then, you know, I would just hang around buddies that would gamble as then different buddies would that I would drink with. So how quickly did you find yourself in a, in a financial situation where you were wagering more than you could afford or owed people money that you couldn't pay? Uh, well, that started freshman year in college where – there was a, a couple bad weeks. So all the money that I had made during the summer, I was able to kind of cover my losses in kind of probably about week four or five. Like I always say, you know, a lot of people usually start hitting the corner. Like right now, people are starting to get get buried certain weeks in October and November. And then I won really big. But then the, the, the two bookies, was betting with two different book fraternity bookies, they claimed that everybody won that week. And that they couldn't pay anybody. And so then it was like one of these things that I had to kind of almost like start already chasing the following weeks and then lost even bigger those following weeks and then had to say, oh, I can't bet. Had to get a job during the spring to pay off my gambling losses. And then I actually learned the skill how to do telemarketing and try to say, hey, I'll pay you back. But uh, it started back as a freshman in college. 
Got it. So, and I know there's a lot of the story, and I apologize for kind of fast-forwarding through a lot of the nitty-gritty of it. As you're going down that road, starting as a freshman in college, obviously you get to a point where it, it is out of control, where you do need help. But I'm wondering for you, what was that kind of bottom-of-the-barrel moment where you went from, all right, I lost, I can get a job and cover it, all right, the bookie's going to work with me, I can pay over time, to all of a sudden you're in a place where now I got real problems, I can't get out of the mess, and I need help. What was that bottom-of-the-barrel moment for you? Uh, well, that happened, like, okay, you go fast-forward, like, all through my 20s, you know, it was just a lot of drinking, gambling. And it first started when I walked in, and I knew I had to do something when I turned 30 that it was out of control. And then, you know, there was a couple times there in college I got arrested. One was public urination. Another thing was not taking care of certain things on my car. There was little things that were kind of leading up to. Then, of course, there was sexual stuff with, with women and all this. And when I hit 30, I'm going, God, I, there's a lot of things that I'm, I'm not accomplishing. And so I first addressed, that's why I stopped drinking. And then, But then I was not drinking, and then my gambling accelerated for three years between 97 and 2000. Because I still had to numb out. I still had to escape. I still had to not deal with Because I grew up in the family that didn't really talk about feelings. So right. I just had to then figure out a way to deal with life. Well, let me stop you there for a second. Because, you know, I, I have a similar background in that. In which, uh, you know, my family, everything was hush-hush. You didn't, uh, you didn't talk about your feelings. You didn't talk about, you know, family problems or your own problems. What were you hiding from, if you don't mind sharing? What, what were you trying to bury and medicate yourself with? Uh, there was a lot of things from childhood. I, I was bullied when I was in first grade with my name. It was, so this guy would get off the bus. He'd say, Hugo, I go, we all go. The whole, the whole bus would laugh. And I didn't realize I started at, at, when I was age six to start to hate my name. So there was some of this low self-esteem, these insecurities, and then I kind of changed my name in high school to Hugh. I said, well, I'm not going to be called Hugo anymore. It's going to be Hugh. Later on when I did the steps, you know, I had this guy who, who was really insightful and said, you know, you have to kind of reclaim your name, reclaim who you are. And after I did a step five, he's, that's when I changed, went back to Hugo. So a lot of people call me either name. And then there was, there was financial stuff. We had uh, family bankruptcy when I was in uh, high school. Then there was I had a, uh, a woman and I got pregnant, and she she chose to have an abortion. I didn't realize all that. There was some sexual stuff. There was money stuff. There was childhood stuff. So there's a lot of things that I uncovered because I went to therapy. Besides actually working two programs, I went to therapy for seven years to kind of deal with all my issues. And uh, before we take the first break here, if you don't mind, what was that final, you know, as I said, your bottom of the barrel moment? What, what led you to say, I give up, I need help? Well, it started in 97 when after I took a, my girlfriend at that time to a Thanksgiving dinner, we did not go down 50 yards from my parents' house where she says, I think your family drinks too much. And then I, I couldn't hear criticism. I got defensive. It was all F you, you're wrong, this and that. And that kind of, but it implanted that brain seed. And that's when I went to the first 12 steps. So I kind of knew I had to stop gambling, but it was, it was like a slow process for me to accept the fact that I just need to 
I need to do something completely different and shocking in my life. We'll stop here right there. We'll take a quick break as this is the Thanksgiving weekend edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. All right, welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. We have Hugo down in Houston, Texas, and, of course, Dan Trelaro with Epic Risk Management. So, Hugo, when you first had decided and recognized beyond just drinking, I've got a gambling problem, um, having already kind of conquered drinking a few years earlier, did you feel like you were in a better position or more prepared once you were committed to not gambling anymore to also conquer that addiction? Or was it a much different ballgame for you? Well, so I had stopped stopped drinking and I started to go to meetings. So I started to learn about recovery, I started to read a lot of literature. And then a year and a half after that, so December of 98, that's when I walked into a therapist office. So I said, well, gambling is not my problem. I just don't know anything about emotions. And so, but I told my therapist, hey, I just stopped gambling. I'm no longer gambling. I haven't drank in a year and a half, but I want to, I need to know something about feelings. And so what I ended up doing for the next year and a half is I actually paid somebody weekly just so I could lie to them, but I was gambling. And so, but in, in March of 99, I called the, the hotline here in Houston. I found out where all the meetings were. And then I said, okay, I know where the meetings are, but I'm not going to go. And then I, keep, I kept gambling for another year. And then finally, I just said, Enough's enough. I got to finally wake up and take full responsibility. For yeah, so I'm life. trying to figure out, get to the bottom of, of what led you to that. Like, what led you to give up, you know, the gambling? What it led you? It was the whole thing that I was tired of being tired. Got it. I knew go. that I was, yep. I knew that I was an addict for probably over 10 years. So it wasn't like I just had one seriously bad weekend. I had that one bad weekend in 97 where it was gambling it was drinking the rockets had just lost the western conference final to the jazz i called my girlfriend to have sex she rejected me i had all that that was my really rock bottom was in may of 97 where it felt like i felt unloved no one listened no one no one understood me and then it was like a three-year process by the time i walked into a, a room here in houston to deal with gambling in 2000 was it was the thing that Okay, I've kind of prepared myself. And part of that was, and I was I was gambling for about a month. I was going to meetings, I was gambling, and then in April, that was so I went in in March, but in April I went off to Portugal. And then I had what I call my burning bush spiritual awakening in Portugal. What was that? I went as a Catholic, so I went I went to Lisbon and then I went to an hour north of Lisbon, there's Fatima one of the three sites where Catholics believe the Virgin Mary had an apparition to three kids right during uh, 1917. And while I was there, I just finally, being there, I just felt like the presence of God. And I kind of walked through, and I was going down this path, crying, asking for help. They said, if you walk through, there was a part back then, at an open door. If you walk through this door, as you ask for help, God will help you. And so I went down, and I ended up at finished walking, crying, 
and I bought three candles. I bought a candle, one for my mom, one for my dad, and I got the biggest one for me because I said, I need the biggest help. I need this candle to burn, burn, baby, burn. <laughs> and I went down, and they put it there. I said some prayers, and when I finally got back to the States, I was finally really willing to work in two programs, work in therapy, work the steps, get a sponsor, do the deal, and really try to uncover what all these emotional blocks, emotional traumas, everything that you want to label uh, that I finally was going to deal with. Dan, let me bring you in on that. You know, I- I've said many times on the show that, you know, there's uh, there's spirituality and then there's religious beliefs. And sometimes yep. they are mutually exclusive. And obviously sometimes they are very well connected. But when you hear what Hugo's saying that, you know, there's a bit of divine intervention here where he kind of laid himself on the cross, for lack of a better description, and asked for help and got it. Uh, is that a unique story or is that something you hear more and more of? I hear, I hear that more and more from people who, as Hugo described, he got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And when you hit that point, uh, you know, it comes back to uh, willingness, right? The whole part of this program of stopping gambling has nothing to do about stopping the gambling, but it's about being willing and being open to seek another way. And as soon as you can open your mind and your heart to seeking another way, a way that's just different, right? We, we live the definition of insanity. All three of us have lived that definition of insanity, expecting a different result, right? But we keep doing the same stuff over and over. We're not going to get a different result until we're open and willing to have a different perspective and to try something new. Because gambling for, for us, I know even in my life, and I hear Hugo, you too, it was a maladaptive coping mechanism, right? It was, it just, it spiraled, it progressed. The more you do it, the more it relieves anxiety in the moment, but the more it brings on more anxiety down the road. And so it's this vicious spiral that ultimately leads us to that point of what am I going to do? And the moment that we can open up our hearts and open up our minds to relationships and even spirituality, because it's a unique walk, everyone's different, that's the moment that real recovery can start to take hold and take root. So, Hugo, let me ask you this. It's been a quarter century since you've kind of conquered these addictions. And, you know, I, I talk a lot on the show how there are people, you know, who are at step one of this. And it sounds like life is really good for you. Financially, you're back in a good place. Uh, emotionally, you seem like you're in a good place. What advice would you give to the guy or gal that is at, you know, day one, step one, they just recognize and accept the fact, hey, I've got a problem, I need to do something about it, but man, the walls are caving in, and I just can't imagine life without gambling, I can't imagine life without all these problems I've created, and yet here you are 25 years later, and life is pretty good. What do you say to that person who's at step one? Uh, I just did a podcast on this about relapse or that kind of thought. And I say whether, the, why do people, because someone asked me this question several months ago, why do people relapse? And I'm a firm believer is you have to accept the fact, number one, that compulsive gambling or any other addiction is an emotional disease. Once I accepted that I had an, a disease and there was a solution, I could then go about finding what I needed to do on a 24-hour daily basis. What do I have to do? And I Look, and if it's an emotional disease, that means I have to learn everything about emotions. What am I feeling? How do I express my feelings? And that's why I'm a big believer in 12-step rooms. I'm a big believer in therapy. 
if you didn't have this upbringing, which most of us didn't, that we need to then seek out and try to almost like go to school. It's almost like our own university. And we got to learn how to speak. And the other thing is, is learning that compulsive gambling, just like any other addiction, will lie to you. We always think when people tell me that, oh, but gambling is so much fun. It's not fun when you're losing. It's not fun when you've isolated yourself or you're constantly hiding. And gamblers are the bigger isolationists than other, any other type of addict. They live in their own world because they almost have to. And so I tell people, you've got the best way, and that's why 12-step meetings work. It's because you're around people that, number one, accept you and validate you. And that will give you that hug, that uh, oxytocin that we all are so we're craving. We don't even know we needed it. And I grew up a family that never hugged, and now I'm so comfortable hugging people. And so I would tell people, you got to accept the fact you have a disease. You got to state whatever you're feeling. You got to realize that gambling will lie to you. You're never going to win back any money. Uh, that's why casinos make billions of dollars per month, billions of dollars per month. Uh, it's not a fair fight. It's like if I walked up to you and go, hey, Craig, meet me outside. I want to fight you. And then when you walk outside, I got six or seven buddies now thinking that, are you going to actually win this fight? Very yeah. rarely will a person win. It's an unfair fight. So that's what you really have to do in the beginning. Well, listen, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. And I've said a million times on this show, the more people like you, like Dan, and I think to an extent myself, share our personal stories because we've gotten to the other side and we live life without gambling and we have, you know, recouped, uh, you know, our lives emotionally, financially, family and all that. I think people need to hear those stories more and more and more. Hope you enjoy the rest of your holiday weekend and really can't thank you enough for sharing your story today. Hey, can I actually one other thing? Yeah. I have a lot of, I have a, I have a YouTube channel. So I have a website, lifeiswonderful.love. And I have a lot of free videos on how to work each step on how to deal with anxiety and stuff. I try to tell, let people know, you know, I also taps into, so that one website, lifeiswonderful.love, L-O-V-E, can tap you into everything I do, and you, that way people can reach out to me. Sure. Uh, if they have a lot of questions, I've been doing this deal, and I still, and I tell people, look, this, is, this got me clean, this got me into a joyful state, and there is a way out, and I can help you. Well, lifeiswonderful.love. Uh, if you're listening right now and want to check it out, it seems like it works. And uh, Hugo's uh, happy to talk to anybody that reaches out. Hugo, appreciate it very much, pal. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Hugo. All right, Dan, that was awesome. Thank you for setting that up. And, you know, I always wonder about this weekend in particular because, you know, a couple days ago, three NFL games, basketball, college football on Friday. Today, more action. Tomorrow, more action. This is a, was always for me one of those weekends where gambling really took center stage, even though we're supposed to be celebrating, you know, our family and our thankfulness, gambling is a big part of this weekend. And I always worry about that now that I'm on this side of it. Yeah, I agree. And Craig, I, I can just tell you that over the last couple of weeks, I've noticed just an uptick in people reaching out. I mean, I know you and I have talked about this. You've sent me some stuff. I We've communicated uh, you know, you start getting into the holiday time, and, it, and it's about this past week and now the weeks to come, and it's spending time with family. It's pressures. It's even I remember as as when I was gambling, all of a sudden now I got to start buying gifts for the kids. 
That's money that I may not have. And now all of those little financial pressures start creeping up and the emotional pressures of having to deal with family, things you don't want to do. And, you know, let me just take some time to gamble. And it, it, it's a hectic time, stress. And that's why we could just encourage people, reach out, you know, stay connected, stay connected with those that you trust, people that are important in your life. Stay connected to 800-GAMBLER or any other helpline that you might need support with because holidays are not always easy for people. You know, as much as we love to, to celebrate them, and I love the holidays in recovery. I love them more than I ever have in the past. But I know that if you're going through it, man, it's, it's a really hard time. And I would say this. Those of you that are listening to this that don't have a problem, you know, this weekend we spend uh, an inordinate amount of time with family, especially family that might be out of town coming in for the weekend and, you know, Thanksgiving a couple of days ago, et cetera. Yo, if you think there's something going on with somebody you love, there probably is. Ask the yep. question. Don't just blow it off and say, oh, he's just having a bad day. It doesn't hurt to say, hey, buddy, hey, pal, hey, are you okay? And I think yep. the more people do that, the more likely it is you find yourself in a conversation that then leads to getting somebody some help. Yeah, exactly. And be sensitive, right? Be compassionate around other people's needs. You know, if you're going to spend some time with some family and you know that individual might be already struggling with their gambling or even their drinking or alcohol consumption, just be careful. Don't bring it up in conversation. Don't put it in their face. Be respectful of people's choices and decisions, right? So it's just, it's such a tricky time for everyone, but just having that compassion and just spending that time. And if someone you think might have a problem, Craig, just like you said, bring it up. Because it shows that you care, and, you know, avoiding it won't make it go away, as we know. Well, listen, you have a great rest of your weekend. Uh, I know, what are we, six months away from the big day now? May 20th. Here we go. Tick, tock, tick, tock, tick, tock. (laughs) (laughs) All good. I appreciate that. (laughs) Enjoy the weekend. Uh, Thank you for everything, as always. We've only got a couple more shows left this year, and uh, we'll be celebrating our 100th episode Coming up shortly as well, that's Dan Trelaro, Epic Risk Management. Joe Benning goes up next, and then Evan and I are back Monday at 2 o'clock here on The Fan. Danny, be well, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, you too, Craig. Thanks, brother. All right, this is Hello, My Name is Craig.